Welcome to the Sisterhood Circle Up. I'm Kate Lynch, a vitality expert and the founder of Custom Fit Vitality. Join me and women from around the world as we share our stories to help you cultivate an authentic, abundant, and balanced life while encouraging others the opportunity to do the same. Connection is the cure. Hi everyone, it's Kate, and today I'm here with Majel, and Majel is joining us from Indiana, and I will let Majel do most of her introduction, but I want to tell you that I asked Majel here today to chat with me and for all of you to enjoy the topic of you cannot out-train a poor diet, and specifically with Majel, you cannot outrun your fork. Now, I want to just give you a tiny bit of preamble. Majel is a runner, but she's not just any kind of runner. So I will let Majel tell her story in her words. So Majel, the question is, you know, who are you? Where do you live? What do you do? And then if you wouldn't mind just telling us about the kind of running you do, I I can't wait for you to share this story. Yeah, great. So thank you, Kate. Um, My name is Majel and I live in the Midwest in Indiana. So I live very flat land. Um, My seasonal training looks a lot like hill repeats on a 400 meter hill, just as many as you can do to get as many hill repeats in for what I do. And so what I do is ultra marathon running, specifically training to run um, trail races that a lot of times take place in the mountains. So not exactly the terrain that I train on. And when you say ultra marathons, can you just pretend like put on your curse of knowledge hat and go back to being a complete beginner? If you knew nothing about running, it already sounds impressive. But can you give us an idea of what the distance might be and where you might travel to do these ultra marathons, Major? Yeah, sure. So um, an ultra marathon is technically considered anything longer than a marathon distance, which a marathon is 26.2 miles. Um, In the ultra runner world, I would say that we don't consider an ultra marathon to be anything more or anything less than a 50K, which is over 30 miles, a little over 30 miles. Um, In my particular world, I enjoy 100 mile races. Um, And sometimes when I'm training for the 100 mile races, I'll pick up a 50 mile in my training um, plan. So I would say my races all involve travel um, and some not so not so much travel anymore. The Midwest is picking up some great 100 mile races. We have um, very challenging terrain that is offered in Ohio and Wisconsin, Indiana even. But um, my, my goal race almost every year is either out west or out east in the mountains. And so give me an example of where you might travel to out west. Great. So um, uh, last year I ran in Silverton, Colorado. Um, I did some training there. Um, they were, it was a marathon distance and um, a really hard 14 miler where we went straight up and then straight back down a mountain. Um, I also have ran a hundred mile race in Utah, Moab, Utah, and um, I have trained for several um, 100 mile races that have uh, since that were canceled during COVID um, that were also out West. 
Okay. And then out east, because I'm an eastern girl. I'm from New England originally. I'm, a, I'm an American living in Canada. <laughs> yeah, there's several, um, we call it the, the east, the beast of the east, because uh, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily seem like the east would have such hard terrain, but I just recently finished um, a race that would be more Southern East last May that was called the Cruel Jewel. And it's called Cruel for a reason because it was a beast of a race. And uh, that was a hundred miler in Georgia, Northern Georgia. Um, but there wow. was also a race that I did out East that I did not complete, which we in the ultra world call that a DNF did not finish. <laughs> And that was called the Grindstone 100. They like to put the names on them that they, <laughs> that the, these races live up to. Um, and anyway, that was in Virginia. And so how did you, let's just roll the tape back. How did you get into this style of running? Were you always a runner? I know when I was a kid in public school, uh, I got into doing uh, track and field and then also cross country running. And one of the things I loved about the cross country running coach that we had was he would actually make us do, and you'll like this, Majel, he would make us do a um, anatomy lesson before we would run. And he explained the entire cardiovascular system to us before every practice in lots of different ways. He was a brilliant teacher. And I found that I think if I roll the tape back, that's where my interest and love of anatomy began and my curiosity. And then my grandparents uh, enjoyed running for recreation and they got me into running. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into running? Yeah, so in the Midwest, basketball is our number one sport. Um, basketball, if you don't play basketball in high school, you're really nobody. <laughs> So nobody really pays attention to the track team or the cross country team. So part of my conditioning for basketball, because it's part of every sport was running and I was really good at it. My coach, a coach came up and, and asked me if I would run on the team. Um, and I was not good at basketball. <laughs> I was horrible at basketball, horrible. And I still am. But um, so I declined and I said, no, I want to play basketball. So I continued to sit the bench until I, later and later years decided I'd give running a try. So I played basketball too, Majel, and I think you and I are the same height. You're like five, four, five, five. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And um, I played uh, guard. What did you play? I was point guard. Were you? Yeah, cool. Okay. And so, uh, so you're sitting on the bench and then like, what, what was the tipping point for you where you finally said, that's it? Yeah, it was mostly just wanting to participate. I'm very competitive. I knew that I was never going to get my um, time to shine in basketball. So there, I just stepped into the world of running. Um, and I and I will say it didn't it didn't really um, it was not really a high school thing for me as much as it became something in my adult life. So. And did um, you run competitively? from the start or did you kind of work your way up into that how did that unfold so outside of high school I did not I um I actually I just was on a treadmill run a walk doing the walk run thing very slowly progressing into it after taking a few years off um, after high school and someone came up to me after I had gotten up to maybe like three or four miles and they said have you ever considered running outside and I was like no <laughs> Like no people <laughs> see me running, but there was a 5k, a 5k race, which for Americans, that's about 3.1 miles. 
and there was a 5k race coming up. And so I signed up for it. And this was a personal trainer actually at the gym. And he asked if I would try, and I actually won first place at that race. Oh my goodness. So my competitive genes kicked in. I guess so. So I have to tell you a funny thing, Derek, my husband, he's very funny, makes me laugh first thing in the morning, last thing at night, every day. But he used to tease about my fitness business here, Majel, that he would say, listen, people can't just get right off the couch and go, go to the barn. And, but there is such a thing as couch to 5k. Are you familiar with that? Where you, you know, you're, you're, you're starting out and you're getting organized. And I know a lot of people want to get into running and this will segue into what I, what we will begin to talk about here, which is they want to run to lose weight. So yeah. Any thoughts on that early on? I will tell you, I will tell you the reason I was beating myself up on that treadmill is because I had a baby and I wanted to lose that baby weight. I wasn't there to be competitive or to run competitively. I just wanted to lose my baby weight. And so that's what I started doing because that's really what I felt back to from my years in high school. I knew running was something I could just do. You know, I didn't have to have a team to do it. I could just do it by myself. And I started off, like I said, very slowly walking a minute, running a minute, walking five minutes, running five minutes. And then eventually I, I accomplished a mile at a time. And then that just kept building. So you hear a lot of people do that. I actually have someone in, you're part of the sisterhood circle up and in our Sunnies group and um, Elaine is doing that where she's walking and running and walking and running. And I think you could be uh, one of her new, uh, one of her new heroes, Majel, as she's just getting to know you. There's uh, Elaine in uh, Ontario, rural Ontario and Majel uh, uh, training for uh, another marathon here, which we'll get into in a minute. But let's talk more about this whole idea of, running to make you thin, which really is the whole notion of, in many ways, calories in and calories out. Now, you are someone who, because of your desire to do these ultra marathons, you can't mess around. And right before I hit record, we were chatting about that, Majel, about, you know, you can fake it. You could you could get off the couch and go suffer through a 5K. You wouldn't be able to walk the next day. But you can kind of fake it through parts and pieces of longer runs. But when you get into what you do, like you have to take your training very seriously. You can't just be living on uh, SpaghettiOs and um, Ho-Hos and, 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 and Mountain Dew and head out and do what you do. So you're a healthy person, correct? Like you have to live. This is something, this is a lifestyle. Am I, am I correct? Oh yeah. You, your training is not just the training plan that gets you out on the trail or out on the pavement, hitting it, hitting the runs and doing speed work and doing your long runs. Your training starts from the time you wake up in the morning to get your water in and stay, um, stay hydrated and to think about the foods that you're putting in your body based on what your mileage is going to be for the day or the week even, or the month. So it's food for fuel, if you will, as opposed to food to fill the hole, which is something that we talk about uh, together in, in the sisterhood. But the idea of training to, at that level and nourishing yourself so that you have the, the stamina and you have the, the, quite frankly, the brain power. So there's muscle power, but there's also brain power because as we were just talking about, this is a lifestyle choice. So the mindset piece here. I know you're naturally competitive, but I would imagine that there's a lot of both heart and mind required to do these kinds of races. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and ultra marathoning, we talk about the why, I mean, you have to have a lot of mental guidance. You have to have a lot of mental strength and you have to have a strong reason to complete that kind of a distance. Um, your body will take you to unbelievable places, but your mind will take you further. And speaking of what takes you further, this, although it's a solo journey, you do have a team behind you. Am I correct? Like you do have, you do partner with people that help to carry you along. Am I, can you educate us a little bit on how that works? Like you have running buddies and then you also have training partners and you have people that go the distance with you, so to speak, correct? Yeah. So I have a great running community here in this small town I live in. We actually have a club that I am, um, I'm on the, I sit on the board of directors. I wrap myself in the community as tightly as possible. So I always have that those people around me that building that community up around me keeps me moving, keeps me um, motivated, keeps me honest about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, so yes, we have a great running community here that I run and train a lot with. Um, and I'm also, I also am the program director for our, a program that um, leads people to a training net for a half marathon that we're right in the middle of right now. Those things um, are me giving back to that community. And that keeps me honest about, you know, what I'm there for. But, and then I also have a tight knit a group of friends who are my ultra marathon running friends. And we travel together, we train together, those long miles, we have all became the bestest of friends over the years. I just had dinner last night with two of them and um, talk about uniting with others. <laughs> I felt amazing this morning, just waking up and we don't always talk about running, but it's just having those strong um, people around you that help you along the way with um, mutual goals. Isn't it true? It does fill our cups when we are with people who understand our story and with whom we have history. So not only are you creating new stories, but you, you sit with those people and they know a bit about your past and they were there and those things that we, that we don't have to talk about or that we can talk about, right? They're, they are implicit and uh, there's something incredibly powerful and energizing about that feeling of just being understood exactly as you are and uh, connection is the cure, right? And on so many levels. My, uh, my, my next thought is I wanna come back to that whole idea of something that I feel that both men and women <laughs> struggle with, which is that whole calories in, calories out, and that if we could just work out a little more, Majel, and if we could just eat a little less, then we would have the body of our dreams, right? Our genes would fit just perfectly. We would have biceps of steel and uh, no cellulite, and uh, we would sleep like babies and have sex lives like rabbits, and everything would be just perfect, right, Majel? Right. <laughs> okay. One thing I um, have learned is it's not how much you're eating, it's what you're eating. It's the nourishing that you're doing um, for your body, depending on your body type, depending on what your activity level is um, and depending on what your goals are. It really depends on what's on the fork and not necessarily um, the calories in calories out. I just don't buy into that anymore. Well, that whole dieting mentality can be so crippling for so many of us and so frustrating because we spend perhaps some time being really hungry uh, mm -hmm. and wondering how we could eat any less and still 
some people tend to maintain non-essential body fat that's that like i said is frustrating and especially visceral fat like belly fat which visceral fat for those of you listening is is belly fat it's the fat that protects our internal organs uh, literally, and it can be an absolute bear to get rid of depending on your body type. So if you are, and we won't get into too much of that, but if, if you, if you have a propensity to store your fat around your middle, then it can be very stubborn because visceral fat knows its job and it holds on tight no matter how many miles you run. And one of the things that you and I've been working on, Majel, is just looking at and asking the question, what am I getting for what I'm doing, which includes what am I getting for what I'm putting on my fork and what is the result back? And so it's been really interesting to hear your journey because you're so well educated on training, eating healthfully. Uh, you have the curiosity, you have the knowledge, you have the wherewithal, and you have a lot of drive. Uh, you, and that is something that I think I know resonates with me, with you, is Drive is not our issue, right? Channeling our energy and figuring out what we want to do is not our issue. Sometimes our issue, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like we have so many things we want to do. It's like we need to narrow down on the specific thing that's important to us. And so ultra marathon running and getting to the point where you have to have enough nutrition that you get past the point where you can fake it a little bit and you get down and dirty because you are burning serious calories. But can you talk a little bit about your, I don't want to use the word frustration, but your experience with, oh my gosh, how could I be doing this much exercise and, and eating so well and being so healthy? Uh, and what, do you, what were you getting for what you were doing? Yeah, I can. Um, so like you said, I, I do pay a lot, pay very close attention to what I'm eating. I know my foods. I um, have studied food for years. I'm 44. So I would say for the past 20, 20 plus years, I am constantly um, educating myself on the, the kinds of foods that I need to be eating. And, you know, there's been some fads come along, some introduction, some foods you've never heard of before. Um, and then, so you want to study up on that, see the nutritional value. Um, so that being said, I've always fell back on a handful of um, handful of foods that have um, served me and my energy level to be able to per perform um, in ultra marathons. And I'm not just talking about training. I'm talking like during the actual ultra marathon, because you're burning different kinds of calories when you're actually racing. Um, and so I, I always felt like I was really educated on the types of foods I was eating and what it was doing for my body and how it was nourishing me. But I always step up to the start line um, and look around me and I'm not the only one. There's some heavier people, you know, that you would, if you were just starting into the world of running, you might think there's no way they're a runner or they're not going to be fast. But people would be surprised that I would place in the top five, top 10 of my, my um, categories every time. But I always have had this visceral fat, like just hanging out there. Um, always wear loose shirts. Don't, I don't have it in my legs or my arms. I'm just, I'm apple shaped, you know, this is obviously, so I just have always went back to that. Well, this is just how you're shaped. This is your genetics. There's no way around it. And this is just how, you know, you look because of the way that, you know, your, your genes are. Um, so 
in eating, I've never paid attention to, can I lose my belly fat? Because there was only so much I've ever been able to lose. And then that's it for me. The thing is when you're eating really well and you're working out like you are and training very specifically, you have a very clear why and you're training very specifically, like you're not hokey pokeying around with some race in your, you know, potato sack, potato sack race in the backyard with the kids. Like this is the real deal. And so I can imagine that there would just be a point where you would out of either maturity or just plain surrender, think, okay, well, this is what I've got, right? This is what's happening. So one of the things that um, I offered up and that we have been chatting about is this idea of, again, what are you getting for what you're eating? And could you eat healthfully with a few simple tweaks and switch from sugar burning to fat burning? And when, when we collaborated and, and chatted about those things and you, cause I, I do believe you are innately curious, <laughs> uh, we're willing to think, okay, well, you know, if this is what I've got for what I've been doing, what do I have to lose? I don't have anything to lose. And so it's been interesting. It's just been great, actually, really inspiring. Uh, and I think of you every time, I want to tell you something. Oh, here's a little aside. Every time I work out lately, Majel, I think about you. I do. Uh, because I lost a lot of fitness last fall with some transitions in my life and a case of the screw, it's a little bit. And I've been working this winter on getting fit again. And when I think, oh, I think, yeah, Majel is in Indiana and she's just going to go like kick it somewhere. And uh, whether you're running in that beautiful cemetery, we get to see sometime. Majel and I are on in a, in a coaching group together. And so we're on Marco Polo and it's a video chat app. It's an awesome app. And so Majel, we're so grateful to have women from all over the place, but Majel will periodically show us views of Indiana, whether it's the campus uh, that you're on or it's your uh, hometown or it's the, the places that you run or some of your favorite places in the, in the, in the world, if you will. It's just, uh, it's really awesome. But thinking about, uh, thinking about you sometimes makes me go, you know what, just do it. And I like that. So there, there's my side. Now, can we talk about the work we've done together this winter, getting you from switching from being a sugar burner to a fat burner and what has happened for you or what is beginning to happen for you as we come into the spring? Okay. Well, you may think of me whenever I, you work out, but I think of you whenever I'm eating. <laughs> so, um, the way things have changed for me is starting in January, I started working with Kate. And so we're in March, March 4th is today. Um, in January, we started slowly learning some things that could be beneficial to become a fat burner and or clear your mind, um, you know, nourish your body better, things like that. So it started off very slow and, and the progression in that month of January was very um, spoon fed and very easy to digest um, with the hopes that in you know, a while we'll start working on food and we'll start talking about calories and what they mean and, and your nutrition. So then in February, I joined her nourish your nature course, where we then started talking about the value of the nutrition that you're eating, um, your macronutrients and what that means, what your micronutrients mean to your macronutrients, um, and then how you can use those macros and micros to benefit yourself personally and your goals. So one of my goals was to release visceral fat because that's something I've never had um, any kind of 
um, help with or any kind of um, success in, sorry, my thing's ringing. So sorry. That's okay. That's how we roll. This is real time. Majel, she's uh, under under the gun there at work. But uh, it's the middle of the day for those of you who are, are listening. And Majel was kind enough to tell her story. Go ahead, Majel, when you're ready. Yeah. So we started. Um, so I started with Kate, just um, paying attention to her conversations about this way of eating, and um, did a little bit of research on my own. And I started to follow the macros and the and the nutrition that Kate suggested. Um, and this was February one, so I I did not change my ways of eating. I just added some MCT oil in my daily routine. I started getting a little more curious about um, the amount of carbs I was eating, the, what my sugars looked like, what my wheel looked like before um, introducing the the nourisher nature way. Um, and then in January or February, I promised myself I would give it a month, just give it a try and see what happens. I'm not going to sacrifice my training. Let's just see what happens. So I did start um, February one and I immediately the first week started losing belly fat right away. Um, I will say I did not change my eating too much because I was eating all of the right foods already. I did add a few different foods in. But what I was doing was I was removing some of, of the foods that weren't necessarily um, benefiting me and adding in some more beneficial, nutritious foods, um, and then not really changing the amount of fat I was eating, but changing the types of fat I was eating to provide more nutrition for my body. Um, I immediately started to release belly fat. Um, I have probably the thinnest I've ever been in my waistline. Um, I don't look a whole lot different because I'm still wearing the same clothes. I don't have to go out and buy new clothes, but for me, I look the same everywhere else, except for in my, um, ab, ab region. That's so, cool. yeah, it really is. It's really cool. Um, so here comes that phone call again. <laughs> One of the hardest things I'll let you off the hook for a second, Majel. I'll, I'll just speak to this for a sec. I can mute you. Uh, so one of the hardest things for people to, to wrap their heads around is this notion of thinking about the fact that healthy fat does not make you fat. As long as you stay curious and figure out how much healthy fat works for you. So just to roll the tape back a little bit for, for those of you so you understand, when we're talking about macronutrients, we're just talking about your food. That's it. We're talking about protein, we're talking about healthy fats, and we're talking about carbohydrates. And the thing about macronutrients is you can only get them from your food. So if you have parts and pieces of your nutrition, if you will, or your food choices, uh, lack thereof nutrition, then the body will kind of fight back in its own way. And one of the ways that it can fight back is by storing extra belly fat. Your body might fight back by having digestive issues. It might fight back by not allowing you to get good restful sleep. It might fight back by taking away your libido or by making your skin break out. The thing about the body though, that is so cool is that when you give it what it needs, it just says, thank you. 
And then all of a sudden you go to sleep, your skin gets clearer, you know, your, your, your sex life picks up, you, uh, you are able to lose things like non-essential visceral belly fat that is nagging that you cannot seem to outrun. And I mean that in this case, literally, because here we are with Majel, the ultra marathon runner. I mean, you don't get much more runny than that. I know runny is not a word, but you know what I'm talking about. So when Majel's talking about making slight adjustments, literally, that's all we did with you, which you can, uh, we don't need to even expound upon. But because I think the thing is, when, when people think about nutrition, they think about dieting, and that's not what we're talking about at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, and you can speak to this in a second if you would, most of the women that I work with find that they feel more full, more satisfied, and they spend less time thinking about food because the food that they eat fills them up, they feel satisfied, they feed their brain, they switch from being a sugar burner and having the hangries, where hangry means you have to eat because you are both hungry and angry. Uh, and all of a sudden, your body gives you more of what you want. And so when Majel is talking about macronutrients and her wheel, what, what Majel's talking about is I ask people to just simply say, okay, what am I getting from what I've been doing? And what could I potentially get if I try a few new things? And in my personal opinion and in my professional experience, you cannot know unless you figure out where you're starting from. So I ask everybody to just like, what have you been eating? And what are you getting for that? <laughs> and then I say, okay, if that's what you like, because the truth is healthy people eat the same food all the time and unhealthy people eat the same food all the time. And people who are healthfully minded eat the same food all the time, but sometimes they just need a few little tweaks, like Majel here, for their body to go, bingo, thank you. And then all of a sudden you start to release belly fat and you get what you want. When Majel is talking about the wheel, she's talking about the percentages, which really is the secret sauce of what we talk about, which we, we don't need to bore people with right now, but it's the percentages of how you put your food choices together. And ultimately, Majel's still eating roughly the same amount of food and the same kinds of foods, but with just a few little tweaks. And of course, a focus on the micronutrients and your micronutrients are just your vitamins and your minerals. So you can supplement with micronutrients, but you cannot supplement with macronutrients. You have to get them from food sources. So even a protein shake is a food source, right? So you may think of a protein shake as a supplement. And trust me, people, I'm not advocating people get on protein shakes. As a matter of fact, I have told more people to get off their protein shakes than I have encouraging them to get on their protein shakes. But, and I'll pause here in a second so you can jump in, Majel, because I think your call's done. But the thing is, with Majel, I was very hyper aware of what you do because I understand that, yes, we want to get you from sugar burning to fat burning. But once you get rid of enough non-essential body fat, visceral fat, we got to give you probably more nutritional fat so that you don't switch back to sugar burning or wait for it. And some people think this would be a blessing, but it's not. We don't want to get you too lean because you need to be able to have good fat reserves for when you do what you do. And that is enough for me. Go ahead. I muted you. So unmute. 
Yeah, you're right. Um, so when I do an ultra marathon, um, I don't care how much I weigh, I'm going to lose 10 pounds probably. Um, but what I'm losing in that ultra marathon is fat. I'm losing fat. Um, so that it was interesting to me because the only way I've ever felt like I do now with eating this way is at the end of an ultra marathon, whenever I've been, you know, running over the course of a hundred miles and my body has had to find fat to burn for fuel. There's no option. I can only eat so much to keep me going in a hundred mile race to have the carb um, store before my body needs to be able to switch over to fat. Um, and sometimes you can even feel it during your race. You, you feel horrible for a few miles, like maybe even 10 miles. And all of a sudden your body switches over to burning fat and you start feeling incredible again. And you're ready to take on the next 20 miles. Um, and then, and then some, so it, it, scientifically, it made sense to me what you were proposing, um, is why I gave it a, an, a chance. Um, because of my experience in ultra racing and knowing that that's kind of how it works at, you know, the middle to end of an ultra marathon. Yeah. The other thing too, is if you don't eat nutritionally correct for you, which of course, as I like to say, is subject to change given how, you know, your age, your weight, your height, your training level, your, your the season of your life you're in, including your stress level, the actual race you're in, all that kind of stuff, hormones, everything, right? There's so many factors, but it's really important to make sure that you continue to uh, and oh hang on <laughs> typical uh, internet uh, swagger there i think i'm back now right so that you don't you don't want to burn you don't want to burn muscle cuz remember the heart is a muscle too. So we don't want to burn through muscle. I'm sure there's some water loss, of course, but thinking about how you can nutritionally support yourself, I'm I'm absolutely excited to hear about how we can, as you're training, keep tweaking your diet so that you can, you don't have to hit that point where you get in the, the because you always have enough fat, whether it's a little excess body fat and or nutritional fat because it's so efficient, like it's just so efficient. Um, Major, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, well, one, if you wanna uh, jump in on, piggyback on what I just said, but also I wanna turn now to what you're training for now. So okay, two I'm things, nutritionally, anything, if you have anything to add to what I just yammered on about, and then tell us what you're up to specifically now. Yeah, I will say I did, when I was um, considering changing the way I eat, I did start to follow an ultramarathon, elite ultramarathon runner who wins ultramarathons, who follows this type of diet. And um, he is very successful, has a lot of good information out there on YouTube. I don't know if I, if I can name drop here, but his name is Zach Bitters. So if anyone is interested in learning about ultramarathoning and using this type of diet, um, you know, obviously I'm not a, a, a dietitian or anything like that, but I am sort of following Zach's um, journey and trying to get some information from someone who's doing it also. Um, so now I'm training, right now I'm training for the boss to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So to get into the Boston Marathon, you have to run a marathon first, that is a qualifier in a certain amount of time. So I'm not just training for distance, I'm training for speed, which is something I haven't done in about 10 years. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I started training for the Boston Marathon at the end of December. The 
um, to qualify my races in the beginning of April that will potentially get me into the, the field to apply to be in the Boston Marathon for 2023. Yeah. So I want to add too that Majel is one of uh, what I refer, affectionately refer to as my drinking buddies. And one of the interesting things about uh, us connecting since last October was that even getting rid of or putting a pin in the alcohol for a little while anyway, that didn't get rid of belly fat. As a matter of fact, it started the sugar train even more because alcohol ultimately people is just sugar. So I still maintain that's why AA meetings are full of hard candy and donuts because everybody's a sugar addict. I'm sure I've I'm sure I've insulted someone there and I don't mean to. I mean that with levity and like some relief perhaps if you are someone who is uh, is really finding uh, that you're struggling with things like alcohol cuz it's sugar it basically. But it's very frustrating that the belly fat didn't just melt off when you put a pin in the in the alcohol. This is a segue into I learned of a little bit more about Majel's journey and Majel's marathoning journey, because we have become friends in a continuation of a sober October women's group uh, with about, well, there's nine of us really that, that participate regularly in this Marco Polo group, that video chat app group, same app that I use for my sisterhood circle up coaching that Majel's now, Majel's now a part of. And Majel, in an effort to lift some other people up, shared a story that really touched my heart. And I think uh, it would be really neat if you're willing to uh, share a little bit about why you haven't done a marathon in the last 10 years and your why of why you are getting ready to qualify for the Boston Marathon now, if you're, if you're willing, Majel. Sure. Um, so I ran the Boston Marathon when I was in my mid-20s. I qualified. That was really important to me when I first started running because it became my first big goal. So at the age of 24, I qualified. I went and ran it when I was 25. So it's a really hard feat to just to qualify. And it's, you know, it's expensive. You have to, you have to really plan, do a lot of planning. Um, so it took me a few more years before I wanted to do it again, which just happened to be 10 years later. So in my early thirties, I said, well, we'll just make it a 10 year goal. So in my thirties, I started training again. Um, and I qualified at 34 to run it then again at 35. So that was exciting because running in my twenties was different than running it in my thirties. And then I was like, well, I'll just make this my decade goal. And at that point I had only ever ran marathons, um, not ultra marathons, but what happened was, um, in 2013, as many of you know, there was the Boston bombing and I was there. I was there at um, the Boston Marathon. And in fact, I had just crossed the finish line maybe like six, six, seven minutes um, before the bombs went off. So um, that sort of spiraled into a lot of emotions, as you can imagine. And what I was trying to share in my ladies group was with um, a, a friend whose husband had just went through a traumatic situation with his um, sport and was having a hard time getting back on the bike. And that that's technical. That's not, that's not a phrase. Um, and I was trying to explain to her that, you know, this is, this is what happens. Um, sometimes whenever something tragic happens that you, that takes you with it and it becomes a part of your situation, you have to look at that event differently. 
So you have to look at your sport differently. You have to look at how you're a parent differently, how you show up as a friend. Sometimes, you know, these life-changing situations happen and um, they do change your life. And, and so my story was that I went to the Boston Marathon. I was there when it happened. Um, there was a series of events that took place. My whole family was there. Um, we were concerned and worried. You know, you can imagine this was not far after 9-11. So we were all super worried that we were under a terrorist attack. Um, people were very seriously injured. Um, and then you go home and you're just sort of like flat. You're flat and you feel deflated. Um, but you also feel a sense of shame around feeling so bad because you were not directly impacted. Um, so there was just a stream of emotions. Um, I tried several different things to help those um, sort of resolve. I started a fundraiser where we, we put on a, a local race and we raised a bunch of money, sent it to Boston for um, the funds that they were um, creating for those who were affected, the lives affected by the bombing. And that felt really good, but I just could not get back into my, my physical form of running again. I just couldn't, I couldn't find my feet. I couldn't find the, my, my heart in it anymore. And I started to wonder if this was something that I ever wanted to do again. And that really, really bothered me because like it was, it has, it was and is a sense of my strong identity. So um, I would have to just reposition things and, and think of running maybe differently. So I started um, thinking, well, what do runners do? We just sign up for the next race. <laughs> so I looked for the next race and I thought this will all know after this race, I'm trained because I just ran Boston or I just qualified for, yeah, I just ran Boston. So I'll know if I want to run anymore because racing is really what it's all about for runners. I mean, the training is the journey and we love that. That's, there's no discounting that part of it. But the actual race day is where you, where I specifically, because of my personality type, get my energy, get my reward and achieve my goal. So I can, I signed up for the next race, which was right down the road from my house. And it happened to be a 12 hour race on a trail that we, I could have joined as a team. I could have done it as a couple, or I could do it by myself. And ultimately I chose to do it alone. And that day. I found <laughs> ultra running. And from then on, I found a different way to reposition how I felt about running, um, how I enjoy running. Um, and I could celebrate the fact that bad things do happen to people. And we don't have to let that be the answer that we, that doesn't have to be our story. We can rewrite our story to be whatever ending we want it to be. So I know this isn't lost on anyone listening, but I just want to reaffirm what you heard. So Majel crossed the finish line moments before the bomb went off at the Boston Marathon that all of us remember. Some of you would remember where you were when you heard that. Some of you, like 9-11, you, you, you remember, we remember moments like that in our history and that i believe is true anywhere in the world not just people in boston or just americans or just runners i feel like that is part of our collective 
story as human beings. And further to what, Majel, you have said, I really am a huge advocate of we are more than our story and we can rewrite our story. And to bring this back around a little bit with your dinner with your running buddies, <laughs> having history with people who understand where we've come from and where we are now and perhaps where we are going. And none of us really knows where we're going. We might think that we're steering the ship, but <laughs> some of that is left to fate and chance and luck and drive and all of that. But it's just, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a thing. And I, I sometimes feel <clears throat> when people have a story like yours, because it's your story and you lived it and you have gotten past your story. When you tell stories like this, they almost seem, they're very matter of fact. It's like people who have those kinds of experiences often tell the story with a certain amount of distance. In a, in, you talk about the facts, like here are the facts. I crossed the line this many minutes. My family was there. I then went on to do this and that. And I feel like sometimes that whole idea of, like you were saying, a certain amount of shame because you survived. So that survivor's guilt, if you will. And one of the things that we talk about as a as a sisterhood is this notion that and my therapist has said this to me many times because I will go in and say, oh my gosh, here, here are my list of first world problems. And she stopped me many years ago and said, Kate, your problems are your problems and don't diminish what is happening for you because this is your life and this is what's, what's happening. I do feel like we can, like I said, change our story or we can, we can slide into victimhood. You could have given up running you could uh, be so uh, stuck in that trauma that you aren't able to move forward, but that has not been your choice. And I, I do feel like that speaks to your why, your character, and the the best of who you are in so many ways. And And I'm a big believer of how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I feel just the little that I've gotten to know you in the last uh, little while here, that that your tenacity and generosity of spirit and how you do things is always shining through. I think it's really, yeah, I have a lot of ad admiration for that, Majel. Thanks, Kate. That means a lot coming from you because I feel the same way. Well, you're welcome. Uh, so I don't know where you go after talking about that, but I do feel like it is a story that is, is it's, in, it's inspiring. And because now we get to witness you getting ready to qualify for this 10 year anniversary uh, for yourself, which is almost, I don't know if it's double entendre, but it, it, it's, it's the next decade for you because you'll be 45, right? Yeah. 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 45. And it's the 10 year anniversary of the, the bombing at the Boston Marathon. So, oh my goodness, the stars are aligning here and you're in incredible you're enjoying incredibly good health because of how you carve out time for yourself which i think if we're kind of wrapping this up here from one woman to a bunch of women 
how is it that you are a professional, you're a mother, you're a wife, you're a sister, you're a daughter, you're a friend, and you're an ultra marathoner. How do you buy into that whole notion that I am always spouting off about what gets scheduled gets done? It's true. If you want to do it, you'll do it. You'll find the time. You will be surprised how you can shift your um, your desire to do one thing and leave it behind to pick up something else that means more to you. And I don't watch a lot of TV. I cannot talk with my friends a lot about what's going on on Netflix. I don't... Um, I don't stroll on social media a whole lot anymore. Um, I don't spend a lot of my time worrying about what's on the news that I can't fix. I focus on the things in front of me each day that matter a lot to me. And those get all of my time and my priority. And I think that's the key to being happy, no matter what you're doing, if it's ultra marathoning, or if it's just getting out for a one mile walk a day, you will find the time to do that one mile walk if it's important to you that whole, what will you give up to go up? What will you give up to go up? So, yeah. yeah. And if you want to, you will. I agree hundred percent. Major, I want to thank you so much for your time and your energy and oh my gosh, your wisdom. Uh, I can't wait to witness your progress and your journey. I hope you will come back and let us know where you're at with your uh, journey to qualify for the she's got a beautiful grin for sharing your story thanks for having me kate thanks for letting me tell it absolutely thank you again enjoyed listening to the sisterhood circle app would you do me a favor and follow the podcast leave me a review and share the love if you're interested to learn more about what i do please check out customfitvitality.com or katelynch.com thanks for listening i'll talk to you soon